Good evening, everybody. I'm Richard Evans. I'm the provost of Gresham College, and I'd like to welcome you all very warmly to the annual Lord Mayor's Gresham Lecture. As you know, I expect, Gresham College was founded in 1597 under the will of Sir Thomas Gresham, uh, who uh, arranged for the Mercer's Company and the City of London Corporation to administer the funds uh, which he devoted uh, to uh, supporting the college. And that extraordinary um, to say that arrangement has continued ever since 1597 and continues today. The city takes a very strong interest in Gresham College's mission to provide free public lectures, free of charge, as under the will of Sir Thomas, uh, to the highest standard in a range of disciplines, both academic and practicals, so law, uh, medicine, as well as, as other uh, geometry, astronomy, and so on. So, and among the many roles that the Lord Mayor carries out is as president of Gresham College. And so that's the reason why we have a special lecture once a year uh, 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 where we invite the Lord Mayor to talk about something he has uh, close to his heart. And tonight's lecturer, William Russell, is no exception to this. In this lecture, he'll be sharing his passion for culture, creativity, and the culture mile. His interest in culture in the city as a cultural institution is seen in his various charitable interests, including serving as the chair of the development board of the Royal Court Theatre, the board member of the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, and the Barbican Centre. And he's also on the council of the Royal Theatrical Support Trust. His theme, and every, every Lord Mayor has a theme for the year, his theme is Global UK Trade, Innovation and Culture. Note the and culture, I think is a bit we're, what we're concerned with this evening. He's accompanied by Catherine McDowell, who is Managing Director of the London Symphony Orchestra, Lynn Williams, who's Principal of the Guildhall School of Music, Sir Nicholas Kenyon, who's Managing Director of the Barbing Centre, and Sharon Amont, Director of the Museum of London. So we have a number of uh, very eminent and important cultural figures from within the city, and particularly the city's cultural mile. But before the Lord Mayor speaks, the Nigerian-British poet Gabriel Akamo will be reading to us. He's a poet, actor, creative producer, and alumnus of the Barbican Young Poets Programme. And uh, he, uh, uh, he will uh, give a, a reading to precede the lecture. Would you please join me in giving a very warm welcome to all of our speakers and discussants, and also to Gabriel Akamo. Thank you very much. Good evening, thank you for having me. Uh, while I open up my iPad, uh, I'm going to ask you all to do me a small favor. So whenever I raise my hand, I want you to say, this is. So we're gonna do a test run, so. Fantastic, great, we don't even need to repeat it. Um, <laughs> uh, so this uh, poem was written in response to the diversity and value of culture. Um, and it is entitled, this is. Fantastic. <laughs> this is. For the days spent trying to wear your name 
trying to figure out the point of growing a tongue, asking what is left to say beyond the obvious, the oft-repeated. From it gave me a voice to I found myself in the cupboard I'd forgotten I was living in, for without this I'd be dead. Being under construction for self-assembly is best done with a squad. The root and fruit of stem. More eyes than you can count, a world of undiscovered use. Amina speaking home into being, writing your spirit a house, inviting blood to visit. Roger turning paradise into a pocketbook, teaching the art of planting flags to say, I'm from. A treasure map to this skin you will make for yourself. A path through dark, uncharted waters to see dragons named the future. Gifting what was not given but found. For those who look in the mirror but don't see their reflection yet, who'll find it later, hidden, shelved. The power to choose your beginning. The gift of being remembered, of being able to forget. The strength to comfort the sky, fragile as sand, when it's set on fire, threatening to fall as glass. For everyone who makes text flesh, who text makes flesh, feeling less alone, that even concrete wants your breath, until the trees and blocks lean into your lips and pigeons two-step to your eardrums, knowing this life has worn your face before and still does, even now, knowing that at least one other person's name is why. Thank you. Thank you, Gabriel. That was very good indeed. The title of the lecture, the greatest Gresham lecture, is The Cost of Cutting Culture. Can a creative education close the business skills gap? Provost, sheriffs, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a big thank you to Gabriel. And it's not often in life that you have the pleasure of meeting a professional poet someone who is paid to produce lyrical verses to open minds and stir hearts. But how does one become a poet? Unlike most jobs, work in the field of poetry doesn't come with a job description. It's not necessary to produce a list of academic accomplishments or provide years of pre prestigious professional, pre sorry, years of previous professional experience. Instead, your success relies solely on the qualities you possess. The strength of your creativity, your ability to communicate, and your critical perception of the world around you. In today's world, it's not just in the field of poetry where these skills are the key to success. They are fast becoming a necessity in business as well. From communication and critical analysis to resilience and creativity. These skills, known as fusion skills, are gaining new recognition in the workplace. Whereas they were once considered good add-ons to a strong academic background, today employers are prioritizing this new skill set as equal to or above 
technical abilities. This modern attitude to recruitment has been a result of the changing face of business. Now, 20 years ago, the largest companies in the world were from the oil and energy sector. Today, they have been superseded by the tech giants of the 21st century. These new employers and their technological innovations have transformed the global jobs market, demanding new skills from employees and threatening traditional roles with automation. In the UK, 40% of all professions face high risk of automation or significant threat of change. At the same time, the emergence of new technologies is predicted to create hundreds of new roles which we cannot even imagine yet. While we cannot be certain of what the jobs of the future will look like, we can predict the skills that will be required from the workforce. Research has shown that those most resilient to economic shock and automation are employees who have high, so, high levels of social, creative, and analytical skills, essentially the fusion skills which we spoke of earlier. On top of this, it is estimated that jobs requiring creative minds will grow as a percentage of the labor market by 2030, along with those demanding organizational skills and project management. The challenge is that the demand for these fusion skills are evolving at a faster rate than jobs can be filled. In their research into skills shortages, the Department for Education found that candidates' lack of fusion skills, whether it be self-management, critical analysis, or leadership skills, left many job vacancies hard to fill. And despite being recognized as crucial skills for the sector's future growth, financial and professional services firms are increasingly, uh, increasingly struggling to recreate the creative and communications talent needed for the 21st century. So what is the cause of this business shortage in creative fusion skills? And why is the financial services sector suffering more than most? Well, to answer the first question, we must begin by looking at our education system. According to the Durham Commission, creativity is not being given enough priority in schools to meet future skills needs. In part, this is due to the demotion of traditionally creative and cultural subjects, such as the arts, within the school curriculum. They noted the importance of the arts as a resource for young people to draw inspiration for creative thinking. Acknowledging that the arts are not soft subjects, but offer a body of skills, knowledge, and understanding, understandings that allow for the acquisition of creativity. Along with creativity, the arts were shown to enhance, enhance other fusion skills, such as communication, verbal skills, motivation, empathy, and the appreciation of difference and diversity, skills highly desired by modern business. Despite the apparent link between the arts and the creative skill set required for the 21st century, uptake in these cultural subjects is falling. This is largely due to the absence of the arts from the English baccalaureate, 
for schools' performance measure at GCSE level. As such, since 2010, arts GCSE's entries have decreased by 28%, and the number of hours arts subjects are taught in secondary schools is down 17%. This is hugely concerning, as more than a third of students rely on their school for access to the arts. Without such access, we risk preventing students from attaining the creative and fusion skills needed for employment in the 21st century, widening the skills gap and hindering business growth. So the current setup of our education system might explain why there's less creative talent available, but why is the financial services sector missing out more than most? This is largely due to the public's perception of the sector's culture and purpose. Too few people believe financial professional services can offer them a creative and dynamic work environment, but value these characteristics from their future employer. And large numbers of people have low levels of trust in financial services, which is a big concern when we consider that employees are increasingly attracted by socially purposeful organizations. Location also plays a big part in attracting creative talent. As the city's Place for People report explains, talented people are attracted to buzzy, vibrant 24-hour places that offer a range of amenities. As I'm sure you're all aware, the hub of the UK's financial professional services sector is situated right here in the city of London. And any of you who have walked more than 10 minutes into the city will know there are hundreds of amenities, including buzzy shops, bars, and restaurants. We even have museums, cinemas, theatres, and several major exhibition spaces. Despite this, few people consider the city to be a creative place, particularly in contrast to areas such as the West End, Camden, and Shoreditch. And this is having a big impact on our ability to attract creative talent. For example, 92% of tech and media business owners, two industries which depend on creatives, believe a city location affects their ability to hire the right staff. In the age of innovation, this poses a big problem. Unlike previous generations, financial professional services firms are increasingly dependent on collaborations with other sectors. The blending of long-standing expertise from a diverse, diverse, sorry, diverse range of fields enables them to spark disruptive change and find new opportunities in business. As more and more businesses make fundamental decisions on where to locate, based on where the best global talent wants to work, we need the city to be seen as an attractive cultural area cultivating creativity not just within individual firms, but across the whole of the square mile. In doing so, more creative companies will be enticed to locate here, offering city businesses easier access to the innovative talent and creativity that gives them a competitive edge, and which in turn will drive business and prosperity. Thankfully, we are already making a start. As some of you may know, in July 2017, the City of London Corporation launched Culture Mile, along with its core partners, the Barbican, Guildhall School of Music and Drama, London Symphony Orchestra, and the Museum of London. 
stretching from Farringdon to Moorgate, this is a new area for contemporary culture in the ancient heart of London's working capital. Bringing together the city's key cultural institutions, including the core partners and a wider network of organizations in and around the area, Culture Mile is redefining this section of the city as a major destination for culture and learning, supporting the development of creativity and fusion skills. In cultivating creativity in this corner of the city, we want to fully unlock the diverse creative talent among our visitors, workers, and residents. We will bring commerce and culture together to meet the needs of business and to build a cultural district where creative enterprises of the mid-21st century want to be. Needless to say, there's much to be done to close the skills gap. Our students, the workforce of the future, need greater access to creative education. And our businesses need to be building a culture of creativity within and around their organizations. To explore this topic further and explain how their organizations are striving to cultivate creativity in the square mile and beyond, I will turn to my panel of experts from our culture mile institutions. We will have a deeper discussion about the importance of creativity in the future of work, what businesses, businesses can do to drive creativity, and the role of Culture Mile in supporting a creative society. So I will now ask the members of the panel to remind us of who you are, tell us a bit more about your organization and its role in the Culture Mile. And let me start with <laughs> Start with me. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. It's great to see so many faces that are um, our audience members and our supporters of the school. I'm guessing that most people here know about the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. I think that most people would think that we are an elite training organization, and to a certain extent we are. We do that very, very well. In fact, we've been named as the number one conservatoire in the UK and the number seven performing arts school in the whole world. So we should be proud and the city should see us, this is a little moment here for me to talk to the members of the city, as a jewel in the crown of the city corporation because I think that our students and our staff are working at world leading standard. And that is a, a wonderful thing to have in the middle of the culture mile. But the other things that we do, I think, are not so well known. And so I just wanted to take a couple of minutes just to make sure that everybody understands how broad our program is. The second part of what we do is about artistic citizenship. And it's something that the school has been doing for a very, very long time, and only now have we actually enshrined it in our mission statement. And it is about making sure that every student understands the role and responsibility of the artist in the 21st century. Yes, it's about being a fantastic artist, a performer, a practitioner, but it's also about having a very broad portfolio where you are enabling other people to find their own creativity, to actually provide opportunities for people in many, many different contexts. Many of our students and staff are working in arts and health, for example, 
working in hospitals with dementia patients, working in PRU units with young people who are really struggling to find a voice for themselves, working in a whole range of schools, working in criminal justice system, working with refugees. This is a really rich field, and it's something that our students increasingly are really coming to in many great numbers, because they can see that the skills that they have through their training can be imparted and can change, transform people's lives, give them those kind of transferable skills that uh, William was talking about, that ability to listen, to understand somebody else's point of view, to work as a team, to be resilient, to be determined, to be focused, all those things that are really, really important for a training uh, within an elite situation can also be given to people in other contexts. And the third thing I'd just say is that we are about lifelong learning. So if you have any inkling about what you would like to do with your spare time, come and see us. Go online, have a look at what's there. Often when we talk about um, creativity and I talk to CEOs, they say, you know, we're looking for young people when we're recruiting. And I say, what about your current staff? What are you doing with them? There are opportunities if they wish to look at their mentoring and coaching skills. We do that. Send them to us. If they're interested in just opening up their creativity themselves, there's a whole stack of things that they can come and do. They can sing in a choir. They can come and do workshops in improvisation. Scary stuff, I know, for some people in the business world. Really takes them outside their comfort zone. But once they're actually in there, they can see what this actually can mean. They begin to find that creativity that they once had as a 10-year-old kid. And so it's about lifelong learning. Don't give up on yourself or your employees. Uh, come and see us. I should shut up now. <laughs> Hello everybody, I'm Sharon from the Museum of London. I'm uh, very proud to be the custodian along with a load of other people, curators, technicians, designers, web developers, communicators, people who process invoices. That's the kind of breadth of the, the kind of sectors that are involved in organizations like ours. Um, and um, we are the custodians of seven and a half million items which represent the history of this global city. And it's really extraordinary collection housed in the Museum of London, here at London Wall, and in our store in Hackney and our museum in Docklands. And it's such a powerful story. It's a story of huge empowerment and huge disempowerment. It's a story of great moments of achievement, but moments of pain and insecurity and awfulness, like any long-term history of such an important capital city. And we tell the breadth of that story, showing the evidence to our visitors and build meaning with our visitors. And as an organization, we like to consider ourselves to be a shared space, and that's really important in the middle of it all. And it's with the kind of generosity of 
free access, the generosity of access to ideas, the evidence of people, individuals and communities who have gone before, the stuff of their lives in front of us, to know who we are as humans connected to this great big city. And for us in the Museum of London, it's about that connection. If you feel connected to the city in which you live or may be visiting, you too may feel that sense of opportunity and ability to somehow create and shape the world around you. We're a really exciting organisation which has a big plan to open as the London Museum, a new museum in West Smithfield, which will be truly astounding and magnificent. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Catherine McDowell. I'm Managing Director of the London Symphony Orchestra. Um, as many of you know, the LSO has been the resident orchestra of the Barbican Centre since it opened in 1982. And we have benefited greatly from the support of the City of London Corporation and many of the businesses in the city since that time. Um, you will also know that Sir Simon Rattle is music director of the LSO at the moment. So it is a great time for the LSO, both at home and abroad some fantastic music making. If you haven't experienced it yet, please do come and see us in the Barbican. Um, lots of concerts coming up over the coming weeks. Um, we also have our music education centre at LSO St Luke's on Old Street. And that was opened in 2003 to give us the opportunity to put our roots firmly into our local community and to build very important partnerships with the local authorities in East London and to work with those young people from those boroughs. And uh, every year we reach around 60,000 young people with our discovery programme. It's a very important part of the orchestra's DNA. We've been engaged in this type of work for over 30 years now. But then we're also very active abroad. Um, just as many of the city businesses are global, so is the LSO. We give some 70 concerts here in London and between 50 and 70 abroad every year in all the major territories. Um, and that's a great programme um, of music making, of advocacy um, and, on, and of development. So um, both at home and abroad, the LSO is a very active organisation, both with live concerts, but also in the digital space. We set up our own recording label 20 years ago, LSO Live. Um, and in the last year, we've had some 96 million engagements with people worldwide through our own recording label. And we're now the distributor for other orchestras recording labels as well. And so in the future, when we have to think about becoming more sustainable, maybe we rely more heavily on that digital um, exploitation of what we do. Um, and we change the pattern of our ways of working. Um, we'll all have to be very creative about how we respond to these issues of environmental sustainability, and that will be a challenge for all of us. When I look to the future, there are certainly opportunities that we need to capture. Working in the City of London is a great opportunity for that partnership with business that we're talking about now, and I hope we can explore that further tonight. Thank you.
Thank you very much. Uh, I'm Nick Kenyon, Managing Director of the Barbican Centre. And it really is a great moment to be here in the presence of a Lord Mayor who is endorsing so strongly the link between culture and finance. The value of culture is not an either or, it is an absolutely central part of what makes this wonderful square mile of the city active, what makes it tick. And that's been true since the days of the Roman Amphitheatre in Guildhall Yard, um, although those sports aren't necessarily ones we would want to recreate today. Um, and the Barbican represents one of the most extraordinary utopian acts of faith that the City of London ever undertook because in those years after the war, when there was so much devastation in the area north of St Paul's Cathedral, it would have been relatively simple, wouldn't have been easy, but it would have been possible for the city simply to rebuild on the old street plan and say, let us reconstruct the square mile as it was. They didn't, because there was a utopian vision of what a new way of living could be with the arts at its core. And that was what the Barbican Centre was designed to represent, and with its uh, array of cultural facilities, uh, as Catherine mentioned, the concert hall where the LSO has been the resident orchestra since its opening, the theatre where the Royal Shakespeare Company originally ran that theatre and is now currently back in there uh, doing a season alongside our wonderful international theatre season, our art galleries which have been the home to such a rich and diverse range of exhibitions, and our cinemas which function both as local cinemas for this area and as arts programming cinemas of great distinction. I think what we want is to really believe that the Barbican can be a fundamental part of the life of the city, not separate from the city, but absolutely integrated. And that is why the coming together of these organizations and these marvelous colleagues has been a really inspiring journey over the last year or two to show that collaboratively we can be stronger than the sum of our parts. We can be more than the sum of our parts and we can demonstrate to the world that the City of London, which is so incredibly rich in its history and heritage alongside all its contemporary activity and business activity, can be truly unique. And now in our strategic plan for the future, everything you're talking about, William, creative skills for life, is a sentence that we use a lot now. We have broadened our offer from being an art centre, I hope I inherited an art centre of great distinction from my predecessors, we have broadened that thanks to the collaboration with the Guildhall School in our creative learning department to something where learning 
is at the heart of what we do, and it is learning that is on offer to people of all ages and all experiences who come into the building. And the idea that our unique building can be a meeting place, can be a place for debate, can be an open, welcoming, accessible place, which surely in today's world is something we need ever more, is absolutely central to the way we're going to take forward the Barbican over the next few years. Thank you. Very good. So I'm keen to, to delve a bit deeper on um, one of the things I spoke about is that we're, we're missing out on a, on a lot of talent because of the perception that the city has this uh, is lacking in culture and diversity. And with the Culture Mile, how are we going to redress uh, this perception? Uh, tell us a bit more about how you see the Culture Mile ad addressing that issue. Catherine. Well, thank you, Lord Mayor. Um, I think... Um, as, as Nick has said, the, the way of the organizations coming together um, and creating that larger entity of Culture Mile um, makes it easier for people to identify with this area and to think of it in a different way. Um, we want to draw more people into this area physically. Um, we also want to work more creatively with the businesses in the commercial sector who are here together um, already. Um, and I think we need to get that message across to the business sector that there is already a very vibrant cultural city here on their doorstep. And that the things that their employees are asking for in this brave new world um, is actually available. Um, but I'm not sure that everyone understands that or knows how to access it, or has opened up the conversation yet about how the sort of creativity that we're all talking about, which we currently lead with young people, can actually be translated into work for employees um, to build those very fusion skills that you were talking about. I think individually we have diff we've worked on um, pilot projects We've worked with individual companies, and the success has been very evident. Um, if you're working with a young intake of um, as um, aspiring leaders, it's fantastic for them to see the parallels that happens in an arts organization mm -hmm. of how a group of musicians or actors work together and communicate actually tells a lot. So I think we've got great resources here um, and by drawing them together in Culture Mile, we can create something that is a very strong and, and present opportunity. And Sharon, yeah. Yeah, and, and also, we're starting very young. Um, we all have big learning programs, and one of the things that's really important to us is to help young people experience the city, its cultural offer, uh, and to just get in here. Because you, you all know, we all know, that when people uh, visit the city and see the institutions, I mean, look at this hall here, the depth of the history and the creative nous that has enabled the sustainability of the city. Um, you know, it kind of really blows people away, the old and the new, 
the heritage and the vision. Um, so we have in the, in a range of amazing initiatives, whether it's providing funding for schools to visit the city cultural institutions and over 30,000 school pupils in London from poorer schools have visited um, uh, the cultural assets of the city as a result of this through two specific programs with young people. And it's very practical experience of the city that I think will shift a pupil's perceptions of, of what happens here. And taking that a step further, what, what particular skills do you think the young people learn from the arts, Lynn? I mean, and we've got a huge challenge here. I just gave the stats of how mm. the arts is not really being taught as much in, in the schools. What can we do to change that as well? Yes, I mean, I, I think I'd go back to talking about everyone's creativity sitting in this room. We t it rolls off the tongue very easily, doesn't it? What is creativity? And when you really dig down, it, it's interesting to go back to your 10-year-old self. Close your eyes and think about it. What were you doing? You were drawing, you were painting, you were writing stories, you were working with your mates, you were making things, constructing things. You couldn't wait to get up in the morning to get on with the project. You listened to people, you took ideas from your mates. You know, those are the sorts of skills somewhere along the line our society in the 20th century in particular completely suppressed them. So we've ended up now in this situation where we're now finally recognizing, oh my goodness, what have we lost? And we now have to try and recapture that. But it isn't too late, as I said before. There are opportunities for everyone to try and recapture what we know as creativity. And I think all those skills that you referred to as fusion skills, I think it's about listening to other people, respecting difference, living with ambiguity, which most artists do all of their lives, and yet that, I think, is such an important skill to have in your world, in, in the business yeah. world. So I think that the things that our, our students just learn as being part of their actual training, their arts training, it becomes a way of living for them. And somehow we've lost that ability to, to recapture that. And I think that part of what we want to do in the Culture Mile is to open up many more opportunities for people across all backgrounds and all age groups to try and recapture what it is to have those kind of skills that people have as transferable skills when they're artists and when they're training as artists. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to have that inner life that's so rich and it's a shame to think that we've lost that. And now we've got to recapture it. But it's not too late. And Nick, Barbican's doing a lot in this, uh, this area. Maybe, I mean, whether it's the Barbican box, or and you may want to explain to the audience what the Barbican is doing. Well, you, um, I, I think as we moved from being a, a pure art centre to one that was focused on arts and learning, the whole idea of you talked about, uh, I think, acquiring creativity. Mm. We're not sure that would be the right way to put it. We think of unlocking yeah. the creativity that is there in everyone. Absolutely. And so this is about what it means to be an individual. So uh, you mentioned the Barbican Box. I'll, I'll, I'll just do 30 seconds on how this works. The Barbican Box is literally a kit of parts Sometimes it looks like a coffin. Sometimes it looks like a, 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 you know, a big parcel. It is curated by 
the leading international artists that we have working with us at any time in the theatre, whether it's uh, Simon McBurney, Benedict Cumberbatch, and so on, they select items which go into this box, and it is then replicatable, and we send it into schools and communities with guidance as to how to use it, and what young people do is to use all those items in the box to stimulate their own imagination, release their own creativity, and produce something as a result. And it's the, one of the most fascinating experiences in the world to encounter what four different schools have made with the identical objects in these boxes when they present back to us and their parents and um, uh, Andrew Palmley will remember during his mayoral year coming up to Manchester, which was the first time we've been able to do that out of London, and having a wonderful series of presentations by schools based on the Barbican box. So I think we're always looking for new ways to expand how we can draw people in to what we know is an incredibly rich an involving and stimulating world of creativity in the arts. Very exciting. Now, I'm conscious that there will be some questions from the audience, <coughs> so I'm going to ask the, the, the provost to, uh, to, to, to conduct that, and we'll have a few questions. Yep, yep. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for that very interesting discussion, and let me uh, emphasise that Gresham College is an integral part of the cultural mile. Yeah. Uh, uh, our, our offerings <laughs> everybody range, wants to be part of it <laughs> range, range across all the arts and sciences um, and we enjoy very close cooperation with the City of London and the uh, corporation and the Mercer's Company who are our sponsors and also the Museum of London uh, which hosts in the Western Lecture Theatre our larger and more popular lectures, the others being at the uh, at Gresham College itself in Barna, Barnard's Inn. We have about 18,000 uh, physical uh, people, as it were, real people, uh, attending our lectures a year and over three million visits to our website. All the lectures are, are live streamed. Um, so I'd like to kind of uh, abuse my, my privilege as, as chairing this to ask um, what is going to happen to the uh, Museum of London and the lecture theatre that we use for over half of our <laughs> sorry, sorry. And more importantly, in a way, when is it going to happen? Okay. Um, so our plan is to open the new museum with a fair wind and nothing extraordinary happening uh, because we are inhabiting a, you know, a kind of high Victorian building that hasn't been used for 30 odd years. So with the train line running underneath and ooh, all sorts of uh, spicy things to be done and from an engineering perspective. Uh, we're planning to open the new museum in 2024. We have a gleaming, wonderful space available for a lecture theatre and it will be a great lecture theatre. Um, I've just got to do a little bit of fundraising around that, so there we are. We're so aware of that. You never know. <laughs> and in the meantime... <laughs> Thank you very much. So let me open the floor to questions. There will be a roving mics coming round. And just raise your hand. There's a gentleman there in the middle. Uh, wait till the mic comes. 
I think you're going to have to run to get the, uh, get the mic. Oh, all right. Uh, your second. Yes? Yes. Uh, the uh, discussion about education is, is one thing, and the baccalaureate system, I'm sure, will encourage uh, students to uh, embrace that, the combination of the arts with science and technology, which should help the uh, involvement into the arts. But there is one thing missing, though, from the city, and that's sponsorship. If we go back to the 80s, for instance, the Young Musicians Symphony Orchestra had sponsorship from Unilever under James Blair, and it's very successful. That has, has dis disappeared, and uh, generally there's been an enormous reduction in sponsorship. We need that connection between students and uh, employment because uh, the arts are not the, the greatest payer and I think we need that encouragement for people to know there's a career in front of them. Uh, Nick, would you like to you answer that? The deal with that? Sponsor? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> or anyone else? Well, I'll just endorse everything that you've said. Um, but I think there's a new opportunity to forge a different sort of partnership with the commercial sector. Um, I think there is a real awareness amongst many businesses that they want to be in partnership with the arts, but it may not take the same form as it did 20 years ago. The conversation is a slightly different one, and I think it is around this question of what skills can the arts offer to business Absolutely. and vice versa. Mm. And I think we need to develop this conversation in a very different way. We've got some little uh, pilot examples of that, but it needs to be something much broader. And as I was thinking about this session today, I was thinking, you know, we do miss an, an organization called Arts and Business that was very active for many years. But I think it needs to be replaced by something different that's perhaps more around this sharing of skills. Okay, thank you very much. Another question in the center here? Thank you for your, uh, thank you for your, uh, for your talk this evening. Um, as an architect and an educator for some 20 odd years, I've been teaching exactly the kind of people that you are seeking to employ. And I would say that many of my students or former students have gone on to run senior companies. But I would also suggest that almost none of them have come to work in the city. And there are very simple reasons for that because for a cultural place, it's, it's lacking some really important qualities that I think we just need to acknowledge. For example, places to live if you're starting out that are cheap and that can be used. It's also sterile. It's dead at the weekend. It's dead in the evenings. These are all really important points. Nobody with creative talent is going to come and work in that environment. They go up to Shoreditch or to, to Brick Lane. Um, what would the panel suggest uh, happens to, to uh, address some of those points? There, there was a time when that was true. It really, really is not true anymore. And I think one of the things about Culture Mile, which we aim for, is to put more life on the streets, to put activity in the spaces between the buildings, because I would fully acknowledge that a place like the Barbican can seem closed off and, and inaccessible, 
The whole culture mile thrust is to say there are wonderful spaces between the buildings that we all inhabit. Let's animate them, let's bring them to life, and let's make them more welcoming. Let's provide incentives for people to come in at the weekend even more than they do at the moment and enjoy the richness of the city. We are, however, missing one thing, and that's Crossrail. Yeah, true. The <coughs> Culture Mile um, the, in the northeast corner around Smithfield, right up to the Barbican Silk Street, is a really potent area, richness of history. It's a truly 24 hours. It's connected to every airport through um, uh, Farringdon Station, two stops on the train to Paris or Amsterdam. Um, it's extraordinary. A walk through Smithfield on a Thursday evening at about nine o'clock, the place is buzzing. So, you know, I think you know, there's a real, real opportunity there for us to, to achieve what you have, to, uh, to solve the problem that you have spoken about. And I would just add that there are over 150 free things happening at the Guildhall School every year, 150 concerts. Sometimes I go at the weekend and the work is extraordinary. And I think sometimes people think, oh, it's just students' work, I don't think that would be very good. Believe you me, these young people in particular will blow your mind. No money at all and it's there on your doorstep. I think the other thing to say is that um, we've just uh, completed a really successful Beasts of London exhibition as part of the Culture Mile. It was an opportunity for the Guildhall School's live events team to work with the museum's team. We created something very, very different, and um, that was fantastic. Last night, um, I was at a concert, Still Go, and our session orchestra, which is not our um, symphony orchestra, but a rather funky group of people who get the music very um, early in the day, get on with it and present the concert as if they're session musicians. It's edge of seat stuff, mm. but very, very exciting. We had 30,000 people watching it um, live streamed. I mean, you know, there, there are people interested and we just need to get those people now into the space because it's all happening here. It's fantastic. Better than Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> Another question. Over there, a lady over there waving her arm. Hello, my name is Maggie Ellis. I coordinate a European group about e-technology, and I think that is what we're missing. If we look at what happens in other countries in Europe, they all signed, along with this country, the Tallinn Declaration in 2017. The trouble is that we didn't put any money into it. So what the Lord Mayor is anxious to push depends on good digital services. And we do not have those. 93% of the population in Estonia have immediate online access to all their records. They would be demanding to you, telling you what they thought about your performances regularly, because that is a facility which is available. 
They have some of the best music and acting and things in the world. But people learn as young children in school. Their recent results in the pest uh, ratios showed that they were third in the world. We are way back and doing very little. We're trying with Michael Minnelli to bring a group together in the city in the East End of London. But it's very hard because we do not have the basic digital services. And everybody in this room has to push for them. And it's wonderful, uh, Lord Mayor, that you're doing what you're doing. But if we had these things, I would be able to get at the guy from the Barbican and tell him, as a secret shopper, what a rum deal it is if you go there at lunchtime and try and find some food. It's terrible. <laughs> so there aren't those facilities. And that is what happens in parts of this town elsewhere. And you have to do it, all of you. You have to ask people what they want. And then they'll come running. The silver economy is a very powerful tool and you're not using it. A response? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll respond is, I, mean, I agree. I think we, we the, the, on the digital side, we can do a, a great deal better, and we need to invest in that sector. And my predecessor, uh, Sir Peter Reslin, uh, has created Future.now, and, and his whole theme was digital skills, and there is progress being made, but I totally get the point that it's not being made as fast as it should be. Uh, and, I, and, and it is something that the, the City of London Corporation is definitely, and I'm sure the, the digital mm. side is something that is linked in with mm. my colleagues here on, on the right. Do you want to comment on the food? or are you? <laughs> <laughs> all, I, all I would say is that uh, a very large number of our users, one way or another, do manage to make their views known. <laughs> That's good. Very good. <laughs> I think we have time for one um, more Chris, question, Chris. or perhaps I should say contribution. Chris, anybody? In the front. Chris. <laughs> Thank you very much, Provost. Could I ask the panel if you would uh, perhaps tell us a little bit about the City of London's aspiration for a new centre for music? Ah. <laughs> Who's going to go on that? <laughs> All right, well, I'll, I'll start. Um, one of the defining things about this area that we're all talking about is representing to the public what it stands for. And the new museum in Westmithfield is going to be an absolutely thrilling example of that. That opened up the potential question of what should happen on the current site of the museum. Now, if you think about it, the area that we're defining here, um, the museum site, which is very difficult to operate in at the moment because it's, as you know, it's the middle of a traffic roundabout, very uh, uh, unwelcoming and, and inaccessible. It is, however, if you think of uh, the corridor that has opened up in London from Tate Modern across the Millennium Bridge up to St Paul's Cathedral 
and up from there, this is the gateway to the area that we are calling Culture Mile. And therefore, the idea of providing there a place of access and engagement and learning and digital experiment for a new generation of music lovers is something that immediately took root as an idea. And that our resident orchestra at the LSO could have a brilliant new home, acoustically superb, with all the facilities that it needs to flourish as one of the great international orchestras of the future, uh, all just totally made sense. And I do urge you to go onto the Culture Mile website and have a look at the designs, the concept designs, which have been prepared by the architects who we jointly chose, uh, Dilla Scofidio from New York. And they are thrilling, they are involving, and we very much hope that they would be uh, the creator of the character of what Culture Mile could be in the next decades. Well, thank you very much indeed um, for all your comments. <laughs> and I ask, now may I ask um, uh, Alderman Sheriff Michael Manelli to deliver some closing and remarks. We, we have to keep to time, so uh, we've say, got, you've got four minutes. <laughs> well, listen, listen. I'm just going to say my conclusion. Well, you're going to say something yeah, else. And then, sorry. <laughs> okay. So thank you, thank you very much. Just, ladies and gentlemen, just in conclusion, uh, the world of work is experiencing a revolution. The emergence of new technologies into the workplace is transforming roles at a rapid rate, and the continuous growth of the innovation sector is pushing business to become more creative. Because of this, the skills we need from our future workforce are changing. No longer do academic achievements guarantee successful employees, rather those with a range of fusion skills, creativity and communication, presentation and problem solving, promise to deliver better business growth. As the Centre for UK Business, the City of London relies on businesses to be able to access this type of talent to enhance economic growth and drive prosperity. Currently, however, shortfalls in our education system lack of access to the arts and the misrepresentation, misrepresentation of the city as a place of business, not creativity, is threatening firms from attracting that talent. As we have heard from our wonderful panel, and a big thank you to all of you, uh, addressing this issue is now a priority. And as Lynn said, lifelong learning. It's not too late for all of you in the room. And I look forward to carrying this agenda further through my mayoral program. Global UK Championing Trade, Innovation and Culture. I will be hosting the Culture and Innovation Forum at the Mansion House on the 10th of March, which will bring businesses and cultural institutions together to have exactly this discussion. So I hope this evening's lecture has left all of you with some food for thought and perhaps even encouraged you to explore how you can cultivate your own creative skills. And now I'd like to pass over to Michael, but a big thank you to Gresham College, and thank you for joining us. My Lord Mayor, uh, fellow aldermen, brother sheriff, masters, distinguished guests, I felt that we were just getting going, uh, but on behalf of the provost, the council, the Gresham team, and our sponsors, the Mercers and the City of London Corporation, 
my job is to propose a vote of thanks for this, our 11th Lord Mayor's Annual Gresham Lecture. Tonight's event is a highlight in our annual calendar. Our President, the Right Honourable the Lord Mayor, has an intellectual event of his choosing. William has long been a champion of culture, pointing out its value, not charity, but essential to community, commerce, and life itself. Gresham College has been about culture and fusion since the beginning, with one of the original chairs for music and another chair for rhetoric. As the province quite rightly noted, and I would underline, Gresham College too is a proud member of Culture Mile and pleased to host tonight's event. In recent years, we've had visiting professors on topics from Chinese art to Russian ballet to Italian opera. We work hard at it. And they wouldn't call it opera if it wasn't hard work. A certain commerce professor even fused the two millennia anniversary of Ovid's Metamorphoses with Benjamin Britten and Saxophony and the Guildhall School of Music, topped it with some fractal imagery and bits from his lectures. Perhaps you can take fusion too far. Uh, from Gresham's interest in the new learning, the Gresham College group of the 1640s became the Royal Society. Robert Hooke, Christopher Wren, and onwards were core to the Enlightenment. Gresham College has been at least as much about culture as it has been about interdisciplinary studies or trade and finance. Our Tudor Open University led us into the digital age, being the first higher institution to provide open source content in the late 1990s. We have over 2,000 recorded lectures by the finest minds, an unrivaled global treasure trove. Lord Mayor, tonight you increased Gresham's treasure trove. You rightly focus us all, educators, policymakers, workers and businesses, on the urgency and opportunity to build on our immense cultural treasures. In closing, I'd like to quote from a 1933 play by Hans Joost. Most of you will know it, though the province might read this better. Venik Kulturhöre and Sikere ich meinen Browning. Sometimes attributed to Hermann Göring, it is, of course, made famous by that great band, Mission of Burma, in 1981. What's the translation? Whenever I hear the word culture, I remove the safety from my browning. <laughs> Lord Mayor, thanks to you and your excellent panelists, Catherine, Lynn, Sharon, Nicholas, and Gabriel's wonderful participant of poetry, the next time we hear the word culture, we'll leave the safeties on our brownings. There's nothing one can add to tonight's event except to ask you to join me in thanking all of them here on stage and all the people who made this possible in the traditional way. <laughs>